0: Hello, and welcome to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. This show is dedicated to you by Gaslowitz frankel a law firm dedicated to resolving disputes involving your wealth, whether through your will, your trust, your business, or your investments. For news, pictures, and tips, go to our new website at gaslowitzfrankel.com or follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute. Our show's hashtag is Wealth Matters. Your hosts are myself, Robert Port, and my partner, Adam Gaslowitz. And today we're talking about financial management and life care options for seniors. And now it's time to introduce our guests. We're pleased to
1: have with us today Miles Hurley, partner at Hurley Elder Care Law, Barbara Scurry, owner of Senior Partners, and Chris Foster, executive director of A Hand to Hold. And before we get started with uh, the questioning, why don't I just have each of you give uh, a brief description of the companies that you guys are part of? And uh, Miles, why don't you start? Thanks, Adam. Uh, I'm
2: Miles Hurley, and my company is Hurley Elder Care Law. We help people as they uh, age and start to lose their functional capacity to find and pay for good long term care. We take a holistic approach to everything that we do. Uh, so, to that end, I've got two social workers and a nurse on my staff. Chris? Yeah, Chris Foster with a hand
3: to hold. We're the agency that can come into the home and hold your senior hand as they continue to age, because listen, we're all getting older, we're all getting older with multiple chronic conditions.
1: You're looking right at me when you're saying yeah. <laughs> that. I'm not not sure I like that.
3: <laughs> so you know, at a certain point you can't drive anymore, you can't bathe, you may have a fall risk going on, uh, a lot of other issues in the house, and we come in and we take a care management approach and we help the family get the the environment around that senior situated and get the help in the home that they need. So. Uh, We hire um, gerontologists, I'm a gerontologist, we have certified senior advisors, we have certified care managers, so we have a whole team approach to working with these families to make sure that their uh, elders can age in place. All
1: right, Barbara?
4: Yes, I'm Barbara Scurry with uh, Senior Partners, and basically I bring peace of mind to seniors who are struggling with their daily life and money matters. And what that means is we actually go into seniors' homes and help them with opening and sorting mail, making sure their bills are being paid on time. Um, making phone calls on their behalf, uh, getting and keeping them financially organized, and then we connect them to other services that we don't provide, and we kind of coordinate that process for them.
1: Okay. Any of you have any sense of of, of who the first point of contact normally is when when there's a need that arises for an elder uh, relative? You know,
3: at a hand, a hold, 90% of my clients come to me after a crisis has already occurred. So a lot of times it's a discharge planner at a hospital, or it could be a a nurse in an assisted living community, Or it could just be family members after a holiday see what a
2: wreck the house is when they came to visit. And I'd say that's the same thing that we see. Some triggering event occurs. So most of the time we end up with people coming in because somebody has fallen there in the hospital, maybe had a stroke. Or we also see a lot of people coming uh, to us right after holidays because family members sometimes haven't seen their parents in you know eight or ten months they come in and they're like oh wow look at this so we got to take action now
4: yeah. Barbara,
1: when do you usually see people
4: it's the same it's a lot of times a crisis situation is going on um and a lot of times i'll get a call from an, an elder law attorney or executive director or social worker that sees that there's a problem and there's nobody there to kind of help step in
1: it's often after a holiday is that
4: uh, yeah, yes, uh-huh.
1: Would, would you solve the problem if we avoided holidays? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it just get worse I
2: think if that was the case. Yeah. Uh maybe longer until uh we we saw those uh, odd behaviors coming up. Yeah. Oh.
3: whoever whoever would have thought that senior care is a seasonal business. So,
2: but it is.
1: Christmas holidays generally.
2: Yeah, that's right. It's Thanksgiving a, and Christmas.
1: So so when I mean that that is usually that's happening at a time when we realize there's a a crisis or or things have gotten much worse than we saw before. When would be the right time to to get a hold of one of you well i will tell you that uh the sooner people take action the more options they
2: have mm-hmm. but i think that human nature being what it is we kind of uh you know take after the ostrich and put our head in the sand until we're actually forced to do something so most people don't plan ahead and i only see about 10 percent of people planning ahead as uh, before the crisis
3: yeah, I think when you go visit your parents, you know when something's off a little bit in the house. I mean, that's the time to act. Don't wait until it becomes a crisis. I mean, parents, you know, seniors are a lot like little kids. When they talk to you, they're going to tell you everything's fine, even though there are these issues going on, or one spouse is covering up for the other spouse. Um, you just got to really pay attention. You really do know what's going on if you act upon it.
0: It, it seems to me that as he, all of you said, because you generally get lots of business or you get your referrals after a crisis situation, that tells me that people don't really know your types of services are available. Um, one of the reasons for doing the show is because we thought all three of you deal with areas that that sort of overlap. In fact, uh, my understanding is each of you know each other from other professional relationships. So I'm wondering um, how you go about letting the world know these services exist. And I'll I'll speak for myself, you know, my, my folks, God bless them, are still with me, but being in my practice area, I'm starting to think about things like this, but, but for that, I wouldn't. So what do you do to get the word out that services like yours are available? So people don't have to make decisions when there's a
4: crisis that is especially a challenge for what i do because nobody's heard of daily money management that's that's the technical term of what it is that we do and people will say oh gosh i could have used you you know a year ago and i just had no idea that your services even existed so that's sort of our challenge is trying to educate people and and so I'm out there blanketing the community <laughs> to let them know that we are here, that what we do is such a thing. Um, but it is a challenge, because again, people wait till it's a crisis. I've had numerous seniors that'll, I mean, the world is caving in around them and it'll still take a couple months before they finally decide you know, to start services.
1: Well, is not the problem that all of you see—that uh, people wait till the last minute, and, and that uh, the elderly parent or relative is usually resistant to to seeking assistance, not just seeking it, but accepting it when it's offered.
3: Yeah, that's a big problem, and there's an interesting dynamic when you're dealing, trying to get your parents to change, or you're doing, you're involved in that role reversal. That's a hard challenge for an adult son or daughter to tell mom and dad, you need to do this, you need to do that, because the roles were always the other way around. So sometimes it works a lot more effectively when you bring in a social worker, a care management or an outside professional to have that conversation with your parents to kind of get them off, you know, that stubbornness, because really it's going to benefit the adult child quite a bit, as well as the seniors. And then, if we can get it introduced, we find they they enjoy it and they find a whole new sense of freedom because of it.
1: So, so, Chris, do people call you when they're when they see a need, but they but they're meeting resistance from their parents all the time? Yeah,
3: we we get a lot of uh, upset adult children who are just so frustrated. They're at their wits' end, and they're just reaching and looking for someone to help.
0: Yeah, I can imagine you'd serve as a buffer between the, the parent who's somewhat resistant about losing their independence, for example, or, or some suggestion that they're not capable of taking care of their own affairs, and, and a child who may or may not be perceived as either being helpful or overbearing or over-controlling or something like that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, we see the same things that you know, both Barbara and Chris see going on. Nobody knows what elder law is it's really only been around for about 25 years. So you take that and what our name really should be is family law. But of course, the divorce lawyers have taken that and they should really be the anti-family law.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The the blowing Uh, up family law.
2: (laughs) Exactly. So you have that uh, going on. So it's really trying to get out there and educate people. So I feel like I spend about 90% of my time educating people. So we do continuing education for social workers, nurses, case managers. We speak publicly. Uh, I think we had 150 speaking engagements last year and we will be on that same kind of a route this year, Um, as well as of course using the internet and everything else that we can to try to get the word out there. But who we really are marketing to is the adult child of a parent who is in decline and it's very difficult to actually get to that demographic.
4: I, I agree. Um, I also blog on on our website and we're on social media just trying to get the word out and hopefully people will eventually find us.
1: Miles, how often are you finding that people are uh, too late for your services? Well, in general people are never too late
2: unless uh, they are truly dying. So, we'll end up with people who have been in assisted living for some period of time, or even in a nursing home for some period of time, and they all of a sudden figure out, oh, there's somebody who can help us so that while dad's in the nursing home, mom is not gonna be left completely destitute.
1: And by help, you, what, help them, what do you mean? Uh,
2: well, we're gonna be able to preserve assets for the well spouse, in that case that I was just describing, uh, through dealing with a Medicaid qualification for them uh, that will make it so that that well spouse doesn't feel like uh, he or she is going to all of a sudden have to live under a bridge because they're out of money.
0: Now, w- one of you mentioned, I think it was you, Miles, that you marketed toward, uh adult children. Now, without thinking about this deeply, one would think that your services are generally needed when adult children live out of town but that's not necessarily the case. I'm confident you have situations where there are needs when there is an adult child right nearby, but is realizing that they're incapable of dealing with the various expertise each of you bring to the table. Would that be correct? Yes. Yeah, that's,
3: a, that's huge. It happens all the time. We recently had a case where we did an assessment on a family up in Dawsonville. It was a hoarder situation. And the daughter lived in a half million plus neighborhood, beautiful surrounding, but hadn't visited her mother in eight months and had no clue what was going on in that house. So, um, you know, she eventually, through a lot of our prodding, got mom removed from that home and now lives in the basement. But she was not dealing with her mom. The relationship was so poor and estranged that it, it would just they weren't getting it done.
0: Um, I've recently talked with an estate planning attorney who indicated to me or suggested to me, you mentioned hoarding, and I, I'm surprised at how much of that is apparently going on. You know, I know there are these reality TV shows which make it seem like it's a exception, but you've mentioned it I'm wondering whether Barbara and miles you've also come across that and and what that is indicative of with respect to the particular professional services you can bring to the table if if it is indicative at all
2: well we certainly have seen it and we've actually had one of our hoarding cases that I referred to Barb <laughs> that uh, you know I sent her down to go clean up the mess <laughs>
4: <laughs> well there's different there's different there's a spectrum of, of hoarding so a lot of what you see on TV is like the extreme Like ten, there's like a scale of one to ten, so you know when it gets to be that that extreme, you you need to bring other people in. But you know we certainly deal with people that are like the three and four that are just you know chronically disorganized and you know have other issues. But so it just depends on what the scale is.
0: Okay, and this this may be an odd transition, but Barbara, you just mentioned calling other people in. Um, we're we're curious about what obligations each of you might have both with respect to confidentiality with respect to your clients and if you will law enforcement or protective services talk about how you address issues and situations you face where you may have to at least wrestle with you know reporting or, or dealing with something in in a more um, I'll say governmental way, for lack of a better word.
1: There are now statutes on the books that require reporting in certain situations.
3: Right. Yeah, so my company, I am, I'm a required reporting agency under my licensure, so if we see any suspected financial fraud or financial abuse, um, emotional abuse, physical abuse and such, we have to report it. So our agency probably calls Adult Protective Services about three times a year to get a situation resolved if we can. Sometimes they can, sometimes they can't, at least we're covering our butt. But you know, we're really trying to get these families, we're, we're the advocate. When I get introduced to a family, I'm now that family's advocate. And it's not the adult children I'm an advocate for, it's for that senior. And I, we've come across family, adult children who don't wanna spend down their inheritance to get the care that mom and dad actually needs. And those are issues we gotta resolve. I've been fired multiple times because I'm pushing for additional care and they don't wanna pay it, so they just go somewhere else. Um, but we're, as an advocate, when we meet these families, and to Barbara's point, we gotta bring in other services a lot of times. It could be an elder care attorney, it could be Barbara, we've referred to her in the past, it could be uh, someone to come in and clean up the house if we can. Uh, there's a lot of different services out there that can help aging in place happen more easily.
1: Uh, you're listening to Wealth Matters, the radio show where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. We're your hosts, Adam Gaslowitz and Robert Port from the fiduciary litigation firm of Gaslowitz Frankel. We're talking today with Miles Hurley, partner at Hurley Elder Care Law, Barbara Scurry, owner of, of Senior Partners, and Chris Foster, executive director of A Hand to Hold. Uh, let me ask you this. With regard to uh, uh, which of the children tends to take care of mom or dad? Do, do you find that there's often one child who's who's uh, overly um, uh, involved and other children who are often sort of no-shows on the scene, or is that uh, just what we see in our litigation practice?
2: That's a fairly frequent situation. And sometimes it is due to geography. Uh, sometimes it's due to gender. Uh, but a lot of what we see is all of the children getting back into the same roles they had when they were children and uh, so the same uh, sibling rivalries go on typically there is one person who thinks that they know what's best for mom and nobody else does but then we get some families where everybody is completely on the same page so there is certainly no one-size-fits-all when it comes into that situation.
0: I'm sitting here thinking that I'm shocked, shocked, shocked that there's family dysfunction out there. (laughs) Well, I'm sure,
3: I'm sure Miles seen this more than me, but I have encountered where two different children have power of attorney from different attorney offices and the the parent has dementia and and I'm not sure how they're getting away with all this, but that has to be reconciled. Do you see that much, Miles?
2: I see it occasionally, um, not very frequently. And then we have to you know, go in and look and see, did mom have capacity when she signed the document and which one and all of those kinds of fun things. And those are the cases that sometimes lead us into having to go through a guardianship and conservatorship process.
4: I guess I'm fortunate because I feel like when I get involved, the adult children are just relieved. Um, And a lot of times our involvement is kind of eases the conflict that's going on between the, the, the parent and the child. So usually they, they welcome our, our involvement.
1: Your, your services are often the uh, solution to a lot of the abuse we see where, where siblings are fighting over managing mom's assets and there's concern about assets being uh, um, misplaced or misused or taken. And uh, the solution often is let's get some independent third party in here that'll, that'll manage it all, that'll, that'll account to everybody, so nobody has to worry about it. But if they plan ahead, they can avoid a lot
3: of this, and that's the problem. most people plan, won't plan, plan ahead. ahead yeah <laughs> we We recently had a case up in um coming uh woman has dementia uh son would take her to the bank, get twenty thousand dollars out here, get thirty thousand dollars out. She had a crisis went to the hospital on the way home from the hospital. she stopped at an attorney's office and he had her sign all the power of attorneys um so the uh physician heard about it and called us and. Uh, they had also called Adult Protective Services, who was already in the process of setting up a guardian through the state, and so we worked probably for about three weeks to find all the relatives, and finally found a nephew that could come in and be a uh, guardian and conservator for this lady. Otherwise, you know, you're going to get a state-appointed attorney who, or guardian rather, who may not make the decision that's in the best interest of the uh, the senior
0: let me let me ask this i'm I'm confident I know the answer for miles, but for you Chris and you Barbara, in your typical situation, who is your client? Chris referred before to the obligation that he owes to I'll say the senior is that as a result of the contract being solely uh, in the name of the senior or or is that your view of who you are being hired to assist and represent.
3: That is more my view and my role to assist the seniors. Because in most cases, my client, the person signing the service agreement, is the adult child. Um, Because a lot of the seniors we get, we got a lot of folks with different levels of dementia and other disease processes. So, um, but when when we're working with that family, all the decisions and advice we're gonna give is gonna be in the best interest of the senior and not necessarily the person paying the bill.
4: Agreed.
0: And and I take it there are times then when you run into a conflict and might have to cease your involvement because the child, for example, with the power of attorney who signed the agreement wants to insist upon things that are not in in your view in the best interest of of the person and who uh, whose care you've been charged to uh, to address.
3: Uh, yes, I have been fired for those reasons, and I have fired my clients for those reasons. So both it goes both ways.
0: So let, let's ask if someone is interested in any of your services, what type of questions should they as the consumer be asking of you? what What do you want to convey in the initial phone call and in the initial interview, even if they don't ask you? Barbara?
4: Well, experience, what kind of experience do you have, what kind of insurances are put in place, you know, in the unlucky event something should happen. I have a whole process of questions that I take potential clients through to kind of find what are their pain points and kind of what's going on and how long it's been going on and to kind of find out what are the immediate needs that we need to, like, tackle right away.
1: Are people concerned about uh, a third party handling their parents' finances?
4: Um, I, again, I think by the time they get to us, they're like just looking for some help. And, um, you know, again, I'm almost five years at doing this. So they see that, you know, we have the experience and we've got, you know, testimonials and ref- good references. So, you know, they know that they're going to be in good hands by the time they come to us. Again, they're just looking for some kind of help at that point.
1: Is it um, your process to, uh, to be transparent with information so that, you know, each child or each other family members get some sort of reports so they all know what's going on
4: it depends i think 90 percent of my clients are usually people that don't have anybody there's there's usually nobody there or maybe that's a recent widow or a uh, widow where the spouse you know passed away and they're kind of left not you know so it as long as i have permission from my client to share information we will but generally we try to keep that stuff confidential
0: okay Barbara, let me get into the weeds just a little bit as to what you do, because it's it's very interesting to me. Um, explain to our audience how you address things like paying bills, how you keep up with uh, insurance coverages, how you make sure that um, you know the mortgage is paid on time. Uh, you know, just the actual process of putting that in place. My understanding from speaking with you earlier is that you you very much rely on the internet if possible to to handle that for people is that correct or not not necessarily necessarily. no
4: because a lot of our clients are still very old school Um, they you know write out checks still so again we kind of focus our services on what's comfortable for them so a lot of times you know we're going into their homes and opening and sorting mail and making sure the bills are being paid so we're you know creating like a list of, okay, these are the bills that are going to be paid and when they need to be paid. Um, So we're keeping up with that. But a lot of times, again, we're writing checks and then they're signing their own checks and then we're taking care of the bills.
1: Are you Um, you making sure the lawn gets mowed or the, you know, the... the,
4: So again, a lot of times once we're in there, we do see that there may be other um, services that they need. That's why, you know, we do, I do a lot of marketing and networking in it so I can connect our clients to other services that they need because we're not going to mow the lawn (laughs) but if we see that that's a need then we will call somebody to help you know come in and do that so but we do have clients that are that will say no you know i do want to get online so we'll help them get online and set up everything so that you know they don't have mail coming to the house anymore so it really just depends on what our clients are comfortable with and and in, in very
0: specific terms, are you given any power of attorney or anything like that with respect to the clients, or does that depend on a case-by-case situation? It
4: depends on a case-by-case situation. Most of what we can do, we can get done without a power of attorney because, again, we're working, we're with our clients. So if we have to make a phone call on their behalf we're calling a company, they almost always say, well, we can't talk to you, we need permission. So we put the senior on, they'll give us permission and then they'll talk to us. But there are occasions when I've had to step in and become a power of attorney for a client. And so in that case, then that's different Then I can sign their checks. I am, you know, associated with their banking accounts, you know, have gone through the process to get set up with that.
1: And your clients are often still competent at the time that they're calling on your services.
4: Yes. Is that
1: that true with you, Chris? I mean, are your clients still competent at at the point when you're being uh, asked to provide services? Um, I would say a little more than half
3: are not. So the the dementia has already set in and we we need to help them with their med reminders and to eat their meals and drink enough fluid and and all those fun activities. So um, a lot of times, no. Are you you helping them bathe? Are you helping them clean up? I mean, yeah, so... Our agencies, we're the people that are in the home long-term, so there's a lot more questions a family member should ask of people they hired to spend all that time in the home with their their senior parent. So, um, But, yeah, we do everything from toileting to dressing to bathing to transportation errands, setting up doctor's appointments, things along those lines. So, you know, most people think if they're real tight with their money. Think maybe I can hire someone from the church or a friend or a neighbor. You know, they don't pay the payroll taxes. We've seen stories, horror stories of them getting audited and having these big bills. Uh, when that single caregiver gets sick or getting a car accident or has their own family emergency, there's no one there to show up. So I really urge families to look at an agency where there's a quality agency that is licensed through the state of Georgia which the staff that they send into the home are employed by the agency. So they're covered by the agency's insurance and a workers' comp plan because you don't want a premise liability issue going on in your parents' home. So you need to check in their background, get referrals, talk to other people who have used an agency. You just really got to make sure that that agency and that caregiver they send is going to be a good fit for your family.
1: So to the extent that there's a reluctance to hire in, any of you for your services, do you think that is a related to uh, guilt on the part of the family member that they should be doing this themselves for their parents, or is it more, I don't want to spend the money, or I don't want to waste my inheritance on taking care of my parents? No, I, I think
3: a lot of times, like again, most of it comes to us after a crisis has already occurred. I mean, we're, we're, uh, we're the fix, so to speak. That They have to have us. Mom and dad cannot stay alone, otherwise there'll be another crisis and another crisis and so on. So we are there to protect them so they can age in place successfully. Uh, so they're not making return visits to the hospitals. They're taking their medication properly. They're they're drinking fluids, things along those lines. So, a lot of time it's it's to help the family. I don't I don't think it's guilt. Although we do have some adult people that just want to what I call warehouse their parents, and you know they just write the check and, they, and that's their obligation. We have others who are what we call helicopter adult children who micromanage everything we do, and we're never going to make them happy because we're never going to do exactly the way they would do it. So you see all different dynamics.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean we uh, in our practice we obviously see a a thinner slice of the population and those are mostly abuse situations but I'm wondering Miles maybe you see something different Do you see a lot of clients who are brought in by children who are looking to save money or to preserve an inheritance as opposed to make sure assets are available for parents?
2: Well a lot of people come in because they are worried about the money because there's no question that regardless of what kind of long-term care someone is getting It's expensive. So care in the home like Chris does is expensive. Care living in personal care homes or assisted livings is expensive. And of course, living in a nursing home is expensive. So people are worried about money. But as they sit in my office, I tell them that I don't care about the money and I don't care if you inherit a dime. We're going to look at taking care of your parent. And that's what is going to happen. And I've had people get up and leave when I say that. But, you know, as you, know, you were talking about earlier, I represent the older adults. And that's it in every case we do, except for a few times in guardianship, conservatorship type cases. So my main concern is seeing my elder client get the best long-term care they can for as long as possible. And if they do follow what we do the chances of having assets left over is much greater than if they don't. But the, the number one cardinal rule is this. You spend the money today for the care you need today.
0: So when when someone is referred to you, Miles, what process do you go through to determine whether they are at a place where you're services are are needed what what kind of if you will initial uh questions um are are assessed
2: so we have a triaging process and anyone can call our office at any time they want to at no charge and they're going to talk to someone on the phone typically it's louise who's going to go through what the situation is do a brief assessment of it and determine if it is somebody that we can help or not. So we're going to find out, you know, who are we talking about? How old are they? Where are they now? What are their conditions? Uh, Some ballpark as to what income and assets are, um, where they would like this person to be living. And then we will see if there's going to be something that we can do for them. And so it's a, it's a whole set of questions that would be gone through on um, in that initial phone call. And then from that, they will decide if they want to have a meeting with one of our attorneys uh, or
1: not, and then we would take it from there. So, so what sort of red flags do you see in, in when, when people finally come to you? I mean, in, in our practice, we see you know dueling powers of attorney all the time. We see situations where uh, one child is taking mom or dad into their home to care for them, and, and suddenly they've restricted access uh, Uh, to that parent uh, from all the other children. I mean do you you see red flags that uh, people ought to be aware of that uh, should cause concern?
4: I guess red flags for my type of services are things like unopened mail and suddenly like utilities being shut off uh, even though the senior has money to pay for things. Um, Fees like penalties and fees because they're paying bills late all the time Um, But stacks of mail, uh, lots of phone calls come into the house, those are kind of red flags, especially if somebody was in the past really organized and put together, but then all of a sudden that's starting to fall by the wayside. That's generally a a red flag that they may need our type of services.
3: Yeah, most of the red flags we see are, you know, they've had that crisis. So they're in the hospital, they broke a hip or um, had a stroke or had a blood clot or whatever the case may be. And then Kids come in town, they get in the home, and then they see the soil closed in the little house and the bed sh- linens haven't been changed. I mean, all sorts of things that haven't been addressed. And then we're called in to kind of help get the care in the house so that doesn't happen in the future. So, um, but we have had dueling family members hire another agency. And so there's two agencies hired and they're fighting who's gonna be caring for her and they're going to different doctors and different attorneys and things on those lines. And um, that can get messy.
1: Miles, I assume, in addition to seeing kids who really are concerned about the money, not their parents, anything else that are red flags for you? Uh, It's just
2: uh, typically if one of the kids is isolating the parent from everyone else, and that is uh, one of the most problematic things that we see, or that there's no one from the family who really knows what's going on with the parent. So I had one case where, I had a, a very young woman uh, bringing in an older man, uh, ostensibly to get a power of attorney for her uh, to run his affairs, and of course, you know that raises a gazillion red flags right off the bat. And so, you know, that was a matter of sorting out a, a situation. So I actually met with the man uh, himself while leaving the woman who brought him in up in the in our reception area. Uh, ultimately. Um, he told me that he did have children. We got in contact with him and uh, the son was on the airplane the next day and was in my office the next afternoon. But this was also a case where he did have some dementia going on. When his son arrived, we thought he had about $350,000 worth of assets, but the man had been hoarding. And so by the time the son actually managed to get through everything in the dad's house, it ended up that he had about a million and a half. So that certainly changed what his options were over the long haul.
0: Um, Adam mentioned the the, uh, phrase, red flags, um, that that often is a signal for some sort of abuse, either financial or or physical, and Barbara uh, let me know that June is Elder Abuse Awareness Month, and actually June 15th uh was world elder abuse awareness day and each of you are sort of on the front lines of things like that either financial abuse or or uh you know emotional or physical abuse um so in terms of those particular things and you've you've touched on them a little bit um and i know miles in the past a month or two, you you referred to me something that you saw as a red flag, which was somebody being sold a financial product that you didn't think was was appropriate. Um, Barbara and Chris, in terms of sort of the physical and potentially financial abuse issues, what what kind of stuff do you see on that, and to the extent you can suggest any uh Protective measures for our listeners to so they can be on the lookout for red flags what would you what would you say?
4: Well, I mean, just to take a step back, I mean, the numbers are staggering. I mean it's like seniors lose thirty six and a half billion dollars each and every year to financial abuse, and a lot of it is committed from family members. So, but the thing is, is that the numbers, nobody really knows because for every one case that's reported 24 or not. So that number is probably really much larger. And they say like 34% of it is committed by family members, but it's probably a lot more. So, you know, who wants to report their family? So it's really tricky. Again, it's just keeping your eyes open and noticing that things that might be, you know, weird new best friends, you you know, Miles just said this young person that comes in with this elderly person wanting to sign a power of attorney. I mean, those are classic examples of things that like, that's just not quite right. You know, suddenly weird signatures, people being coerced into signing things that they shouldn't. It's just trying to keep an eye, paying attention to your, your bank statements and credit card statements, you know, knowing that, did you really, put these on here, you know?
0: Right. I've, I've read recently, and maybe the report or statistics you're referring to, I think the GAO did a study and they sort of characterized this type of particularly financial abuse into three categories. You've got family members and close friends. You've actually got the financial services industry itself. And then you've got the fraudsters, you know, the calls from Nigeria that you've won, you know, a kajillion dollars and just give us your information and you'll get it. So, um, you know, that suggests to me, particularly the first level of that, that it's not necessarily some, you know, caricature of somebody, uh, you know, late at night breaking into someone's house who's who's defrauding someone. Chris, what what do you have to... Well, um,
3: Yeah, I mean, we do see a lot of family issues, and I guess I see the most of that, but I've walked into homes, and we see all the uh, envelopes from all the charities, or so-called charities, or multiple churches, and some seniors don't like to say no to that, and they're writing checks, and these charities know that this is a senior, instead of sending a, a, a solicitation once every six months, they're sending them out every two or three weeks, and they're getting a check every two to three weeks, so... Uh, as an adult child, I think it's time for you to get nosy. you got to look in that, those bank statements and those check ledgers and see where the money is going. Because in a lot of cases, they don't realize they just wrote a check a couple weeks ago.
0: Yeah, I, I was involved in a matter a number of years ago and, and learned, and it's actually not surprising when you think about it, that lists of people who are susceptible to things like that are bought and sold regularly. It's a brisk, brisk business. If someone is identified as an easy mark, for a lottery or a sales pitch or an investment, their name, it goes flying around the internet.
4: Yeah, it's. I think the statistic was if you get one telemarketing call a day, you're three times as likely to become a victim of financial abuse. So it's important to try to get, you know, the senior on that do not call list.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, and there was one gentleman, he was an engineer, a brilliant engineer, and this was a national news story. He thought that if he bought all this stuff through American Publishers Clearinghouse deal, he'll have a better opportunity to win. And he was spending seventy thousand dollars a year with this group and it was the, all those telemarketers probably got together and knew he he was a he was a target
0: interesting well as we uh, get to the close of our show we'd like to uh ask each of you to uh give our listeners your contact information website social media hashtag whatever you prefer and uh how folks might be able to uh Reach you should they have any uh follow-up questions or interest in the services you provide barbara let's start with you
4: um i would direct everybody to our website it's www.yourseniorpartners.com on the website you'll find my blog you'll find all of the links to all of our social media and there's also a link there where you can schedule a free consultation with us so everything's right there on the website Great,
0: thank you. Chris?
3: Yeah, I think similar to Barbara, the website's probably the most convenient way because it does link to all our social media stuff as well. Uh, You can also call the office at 770-992-5820. And by the way, our website is ahandtohold.com, usually the best way to get a hold of us. But you can call us, ask questions, set up
2: a free assessment, uh, whatever you need.
0: Thank you. Miles?
2: And I think the best way for people to contact us is to actually make a phone call. So the number is 404-843-0121. However, if you do want to take time to become educated on everything that we do, by all means, our website has got all kinds of information on it. And that is www.hurley, as an elder, C as in care, law.com.
1: As we wrap up our show, I want to thank everyone for listening to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. For more information about Gaslowitz-Frankel, please go to our new website at gaslowitzfrankel.com. And remember to follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute and use our show's hashtag Wealth Matters. Our guests today were Miles Hurley, partner at Hurley Elder Care Law, Barbara Scurry, owner at Senior Partners, and Chris Foster, executive director of A Hand to Hold. Please join us every fourth Wednesday of the month at 8.30 a.m. here at Wealth Matters on Business Radio X.